Well, good morning. It was uh, great to welcome Brittany Ferguson to our worship team this morning. We thank her for playing so beautifully and helping to turn our hearts toward the Lord. Of course, everybody else was up here playing as well, but Brittany was featured on the violin. Thank you very much wherever you are, Brittany. There she is back there. You ever had one of those times where it just seems like something... It seems like something is going on in my life in these next couple of days, and I cannot get married. That's what it is <laughs> tomorrow night. Um, I want you to know, this is not in the notes. I didn't plan to say this. I was just thinking about it just now, that the Lord is bringing a wonderful woman, not just to me, but to Grace Community Church. She has desired to be here a lot this year. As you can imagine, this uh, relationship has disrupted the life of her oldest daughter, or her, her youngest child, her daughter, Sarah, a wonderful girl. Sarah is in a junior in high school, and so Allison has been up at, at their church quite a bit, but she will be here from now on and uh, is thrilled to be here, and I know that you are going to be blessed greatly. Many of you already have been ministered to uh, greatly by Allison. I don't know why the Lord has blessed me with the women in my life like he has. My mother was an incredible woman, right, Ann Coor? Um, my, uh, my mother-in-law was an incredible woman. My stepmother, as godly as they come. My mother-in-law that I've already had and the one that I'm about to have, uh, just incredible women. The Lord has blessed me. Greatly, and he has blessed me with you and your encouragement. I'm so grateful to be a part of this family, and I'm so thankful that you can share in the joy. Now, if you come tomorrow night to the wedding, and if you didn't RSVP, it's still fine for you to come tomorrow night. It's liturgical, which means two things you got to stay on your keep on your toes because you know you're going to have to be back and forth. He'll say, The Lord be with you, and you will say, and also with you. Let's listen to all these liturgical types we've got in here. You know, we'll be chanting back and forth. The other thing is, it, I did a wedding yesterday, actually, in Charlotte. It did not feel rushed. It was a wonderful time. From the time they started coming in until the time everybody was out, 30 minutes. It ain't going to be 30 minutes tomorrow night. It's liturgical. We're taking communion. There's a common cup. So, uh, you know, get ready for that. Uh, Chad, would you go toward the end, if you don't mind? <laughs> Thank you for that. And indeed, <laughs> happy birthday to Callie. What a great, let's just praise the Lord for that. We are so, so happy for that. Well, I have been... Um, Telling Allison that June 14th was a rumor, you know, that it's not getting here. I'm saying, I, I don't believe it'll get here. She says, oh, it'll be here before you know it. Told my barber one time, I said, I don't think it's going to get here. He said, oh, it'll get here all right. And I don't know exactly what he, maybe he hadn't had a good relationship. I don't know. But, but um, at any rate, it is here. And I'm pretty sure it's, tomorrow is going to arrive. And I'm hoping it's going to arrive in style. You know, when I was younger... 
I just, when big events were on the horizon, I just couldn't do any. I, I couldn't sleep the night before. I, 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 days before, hardly. I, I just was so excited waiting for it to come. As I've gotten older, it just doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal anymore. This was a big deal. It just didn't seem like it was going to get here. It has gotten here, though. Uh, most of us learn over time the value of deferred gratification. With education, with our, our spending, our finances, vacations, etc. But still, time can really crawl when you're waiting for something big that looks so good, so promising. And then there's heaven. Heaven. Just think about what that's going to be like. But heaven seems so distant, so far out in the future. And it seems that way in every way. I mean, we're never going to die, right? We don't, we don't, we're not around people who die like they like, like used to be in the olden days. Back when Jack Lucas, I'm sure he remembers several, you know, times. No, I'm just kidding, Jack. Pray for Jack. He's got some big times coming up here in the near future and a big uh, procedure tomorrow. Um, but, but back in the day where people would would die at home. We're starting to move back to that with hospice, but we were just never acquainted with death in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And, and life can be really good here. When it's, when it's good in America, it's really good. So while we recognize that heaven is beyond, is wonderful beyond our wildest dreams, we can wait. But suffering changes our perspective about heaven, doesn't it? All of a sudden, the sweet by and by seems very attractive. I would imagine it would be especially so if we were being severely persecuted because of our faith in Jesus, even to the point of imprisonment and maybe martyrdom. So far in our study of the gospel, as we have been studying the gospel, we've seen this cycle of ruin, redemption, and relationship played out both before we trusted Christ and after we trusted Christ. Before we came to the acknowledgement of our ruin because of sin in our lives, we trusted Christ and we thought everything was good from there out. But it started all over again as we recognize the sin is still there in us. The sin nature is still there and, and we yield to it at times rather than to the Lord. Well, this morning we're going to be thinking about the relationship that we have with the Lord Right now, but we're going to first be thinking, as led by our text in the second half of uh, Romans, about the day when all the consequences of the ruin of our sin will be gone. And redemption and relationship will be complete. Redemption will be full, completely done. Well, since we've done so much review uh, these last few weeks, we're going to forego that this morning. But let's, let's look again at our definition of the gospel. And just all that you've learned so far in the book of Romans, and as we've looked around in other parts of Scripture, including the Old Testament, as we think about the gospel, let that just flood your mind as we read this deliberately. The just and gracious God of the universe in response to hopelessly sinful people, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we can't, to bear His wrath against sin on the cross, 
and to show his power over sin in the resurrection so that all who respond to the Holy Spirit's call to repent and believe in Jesus will be reconciled to God forever. The beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ starts its cycle with less than beautiful thoughts. Ruin, redemption, relationship. That's the gospel cycle. So this morning, we are going to be reading from the last half of Romans chapter 8. Very possibly the absolute favorite portion of scripture in the entire Bible for some of you. Maybe even many of you. Romans 8, verses 18 to 39, and as is our custom, would you please stand as we read God's Word together. And again, as we read, let this Word sink in to you. There's not so much preaching today as it is just absorbing this beautiful truth. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we must really praise, praise you for all that we have in Jesus. Lord, we are led to believe in this life, both by others and by our own selves, that we are better than we really are. We think we are much better than we are. And Lord, if we could see ourselves as you see us apart from Jesus, it would horrify us. But in Jesus, we are so much better than we think we are. And we pray that the truth of this text would wash over us today. And because of this truth being applied in our own hearts and minds, that you would change us through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. Well, redemption is a beautiful word for Christ's followers. We already recognize the difference in our lives from the time before we trusted Jesus and the time after, especially if you were saved a little bit later. But you remember that even if you were saved at a young age, most likely there was a time in your life where all of a sudden it made sense at a level it never had before. And it was just like you were falling in love with Jesus for the first time. To be redeemed means to be free from the life before Him. And now everything is different because of Jesus. We recognize that the only reason we were redeemed was because that Jesus shed his blood to buy us back, if it were, or to buy us for himself and for all eternity. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we are bought with the price, the precious blood of Christ. A whole lot of language in the New Testament that we're not really comfortable with about ransoming and redeeming Jesus buying us. For himself. That's what it means to be redeemed. We were bought with the price of his blood. We belong to the Lord. And that's a good thing since it means that we will spend eternity with him in heaven. Heaven really sounds good. In fact, when you were first saved or you first fell in love with Jesus, you got just a teeny glimpse of of heaven at that time where everything was so new and you just knew that this was the way life was going to be for the rest of your days and that ne- and eternity has already begun. I'm not in heaven, but I may as well be. I'm never going to sin again. I'm never really going to have problems anymore. I'm certainly not going to deal with my problems like I did in the past. But then gradually, Adam starts to assert himself in us And we recognize that the sin nature is still with us. And the reality of this life 
crashes back in. And sometimes it's dis- really disappointing when we recognize what's ahead of us and what we had, and we feel like somehow we were responsible for that, but now it's gone, so I must be responsible for that as well. And when the reality of this life sets back in and we still have that assurance that we belong to Jesus, we long for heaven. Suffering and glory. It is amazing how many times these two words are found together in the New Testament. I pointed it out several times. It is flat out amazing how suffering and glory are together in the New Testament over and over and over. Now, if, if we were assigned to find a word to match suffering, glory is probably not the word we would choose. We would choose misery, maybe. Or if we were more mature, we might say endurance, purpose, there is value in suffering. But we would, we would not choose glory. just wouldn't be our word. But God chooses to put glory with suffering. Now, often in the New Testament, when you see suffering and glory together, our suffering is bringing glory to God. But here in Romans 8, he's talking about glory that is going to be revealed in us. It's coming to us. And that's going to be full redemption. We're redeemed now. We recognize the little bit of what we have in Christ, but nothing on the scale of what it's going to happen. With full redemption comes perfect relationships. Our relationship with God is going to be perfect. No more confession of sin. Because sin will be no more. Won't that be a day? Do you ever get tired of confessing? I do. I mean, it's, it's, it's shameful. You know, to have to come to the Lord. Day in and day out. With your sin. Bring in your sin. God, I, I acknowledge this was wrong. There'll be no more agonizing prayers for healing or deliverance because our bodies will be whole and perfectly well. In fact, they'll be perfect in every way. And this is the thing that stuns me as I think about it. I've mentioned it lots before. But the only body in heaven that will not be perfect will be Jesus. He'll bear the scars. Our bodies, because of that great exchange that we've talked about, His righteousness for our sin. His being willing to suffer so that we might be made whole will be so evident in heaven. Furthermore, our relationships with one another will be perfect. No more misunderstandings. No more suspicion. No more white lies. Won't that be a great day? All relationships will be perfect. Does that sound good to you? You don't have any idea how good that is. That's not me being arrogant. I don't have any idea how good that is. Nor does the Apostle Paul have any idea how good that is. In verse 18, he says that he had considered that the, he's considered that the sufferings of this world are not to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
the glory of heaven will be so incredibly great and so much greater than anything we have ever experienced, and that glory will be revealed in us. And when Paul says, I consider, it means that he's thought it through thoroughly, and there's just no comparison. Now look, Paul had been to heaven at this point. He'd been, he'd already been to the third heaven. And he says, I can't make the connection. How great it's going to be. And, and as bad as suffering is, it'll be good so far on the other end of the scale. We just have no conception whatsoever. We, we think of suffering and, 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 and glory and, and heaven as polar opposites. And they are. But to think that we can compare this life with heaven... It's not possible. Can you compare a thimble of water, thimble full of water, with, with the waters of all the oceans in the world? Yes, you can. We can make that comparison. But we got nothing when it comes to comparing this world and the new heavens and the new earth. We can't compare the glory of heaven with this old, tired fallen world. And this world would consider itself old and tired and fallen. We think of this world as beautiful, spectacular even. And it is. But it's ailing. When Adam fell, creation fell with it. It was subjected to futility. And futility is the order of the day. Both in creation, in the universe, and also in our lives. Have you, have you heard that the sun is getting ready to increase its activity, solar activity, solar flares are getting ready to increase significantly, and there's great concern about what that's going to do to our technological advances. A lot going... The, the, the universe is constantly <coughs> cleansing itself with violent corrections that it's making. And futility is the order of the day for us. Just ask a, a farmer who has all of his crops wiped out by a violent stun, thunderstorm just days before harvest. And ask someone who has lost a home or a loved one, even to a tornado or a flood, as so many were lost in Arkansas this week. Can you imagine what happened in Arkansas this week? And people are dying of starvation all over the world. The earth and its inhabitants were subjected to futility. And in so very many ways, we see the ruin of sin in creation as well as in our own lives. <clears throat> Look, the oil spill is horrible and we created that <coughs> problem. But the universe didn't need, the world didn't need any help. It has enough trouble of its own. If we all went as green as we could possibly go, this universe, this world is in trouble. It's hurting. It's ailing. Creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth from the time of Adam's sin until now. You know, <clears throat> there used to be a day when I would go to the hospital 
after a baby was born every single time. I, I just loved being there and seeing the beaming parents, you know, and the little baby that I was trying to say, oh, so cute. No, no just kidding. They're, they're all beautiful, aren't they? But, <clears throat> I, you know, that was before we were having 326 births in a year um, here at Grace. So it's m- more difficult now. But I see a lot of pictures of, of brand new babies, you know, in a mother's arms beaming. I never see pictures of those mothers in labor before the baby gets here, you know. Um, it would not be, pr- we just don't take those pictures, you know. If, you know, if the husband gets out the camera, she says, you take that picture and I'll kill you. You know, it's just not happening. The creation has been groaning in labor pains from the time of Adam's sin until this day. But labor's not the end, is it? Thank God there is that, that birth and that new life. And creation looks forward to the day when the sons of God are fully redeemed because just like the, the earth's, the earth's fate is tied to man's fate. When Adam fell, the earth fell. When Adam is redeemed, when man is fully, completely redeemed, the earth is fully, completely redeemed. And when it comes to groaning... Right now that the creation is doing, it has nothing on us. We groan with pain and suffering in this life. We groan even though we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. The Spirit being given to us represents the first fruits or just a taste of what full redemption is going to be like. Full adoption. Can you imagine what this world is going to be like with a new heaven and a new... No, you can't. There's no comparison. There's no way we can fully comprehend what it will be like to live in a perfect world. We do know, however, that it will be unbelievably good. And the awareness of something so incredible as full redemption gives us hope for right now. Now, you've often heard me say that when the New Testament talks about hope, it's speaking about eternal life, that was, which is in the future. And this is where that definition is fully given, although it's borne out over and over and over in the New Testament. Verses 24 and 25 tells us about our hope in Jesus. Our hope is full redemption. It, it's eternal life with the Lord, and it is absolutely in the future. Our hope is in the future. Life with Jesus right now is good, but it's hard. And it involves suffering, not only the suffering of the world, but the suffering of the, of, of the sons of God, the children of God, men and women of God. We groan along with creation. Don't, don't beat yourself up when you groan when suffering comes along. We, we talked about last year a different perspective in First Peter, that, that there is purity and joy in the midst of suffering, but there are times when we have no choice but to groan because it hurts so badly. It's part of the, it's part of the, the fallen world, but it's what makes heaven all the better. So much better. 
And that hope keeps me going. It keeps me focused on the kingdom of God. The kingdom that is already present in this world. The Lord has graciously given me the resources to cope with life in this world. He expects me to reign and to rule right now, even in the midst of suffering. The, the first great resource is the hope that He puts into my heart. The certain confidence of eternal life with Him. Eternal life with Him in a perfect place and in a perfect state of being. The second resource that He gives is the Holy Spirit of God, especially as it relates to prayer. I don't know how to pray. I mean, I think I know how to pray. I, I know what I want, but do I know what God wants? I don't. And so <clears throat> the Holy Spirit helps me in my weaknesses and uncertainty about how I should approach the Lord. The Holy Spirit, when I pray, the Holy Spirit takes those prayers and with groans that we know nothing about. And these groans, by the way, are of an entirely different nature than the creation's groans and, 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 the, and the children of God's groans. This, these groans are a language that we know nothing about. It's not a prayer language. This is not language that we're praying. This groaning is the groaning of the Holy Spirit as He is tr- taking our prayers and He's translating them to the Lord. We have certain outcomes that we desire for life's problems, but the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is God, and He knows what we need. So, when you say, "I, I don't know what to pray for," I'm, I'm almost paralyzed. Look, the only mistake is to not pray, because when we pray with a pure heart, the Holy Spirit gets the prayer right to the Lord. I might say, "Lord." You know how badly I need a job. Please give me a job. And the Holy Spirit would say, Father, Brad needs to trust in you more. So would you withhold the job from him, but but meet his needs. And help him to understand that the God of the universe will provide for him no matter what. The Father is always in perfect accord with the Holy Spirit, because the two, along with Jesus, are one. The three are one. And if you want further explanation, a long series of sermons last year about the Trinity. You can go to the website or my blog and find it in written form on the blog. All of the suffering, all of the prayer, are used by the Lord to make us more like Jesus. Romans 8.28 is an incredibly beautiful wonderful verse but it's a verse that you need to earn the right to use with someone else who is suffering please don't use this verse flippantly especially if you've never gone through what the other person is going through earn the right first of all by having invested in a person's life spend time with them and then it's helpful if you have suffered at least to the level that they have before you encourage them with Romans 8.28. Proverbs 25.20 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. And we sing that song a lot. Hey, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. When you tell someone who is hurting that all things work together for good, 
You're speaking truth, but you may be perceived to be speaking it harshly. We all need to hear this from, from those who love us, but we need to be careful when we're the ones using this verse to someone else with this incredibly powerful verse. There's a lot of power, and it can do great damage as well as great good. So handle it with care as you use it. But having given this disclaimer, let's acknowledge what a beautiful, wonderful verse this is. How encouraging this is to the person whose heart is toward the Lord. No matter what comes into our life, God is working it together for His glory and for our good, which will ultimately result in our glory as well. Almost feel funny saying that, but Romans 8 is pretty clear about it. There's glory for us, only God's glory that he, he gives to us, but there is glory. While we suffer in the here and now, God's purpose is in, unfolding in us. That purpose, part of the gospel story in our lives, is that we are being made like Jesus. We are being conformed to His image. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be in Romans 9. Romans chapter 9. And we will talk a lot about election and predestination, a word that's difficult for some people. But predestination is used here. Predestined is used. That word is used here. But all you need to know, here's what God's plan is for you, is that you be made like Jesus. That's what we're talking about in Romans 8. Now, when we get to Romans 9, we're going to talk about how God's predestination comes with our salvation. But here, he's just saying, he's making you like Jesus. And implied in that is your sufferings are making you like Jesus. Do you find it to be true? Do you find it to be true that when you suffer, you become more like Jesus? I do. Not at first. In fact, I'm less like Jesus when I suffer at first. But time. Time is a great healer. And I begin to see that God has used these hardships in my life to make me more like Jesus. And He determined that before the world began. He called us into His family. He's freed us from the penalty of sin. That's what justified means. And although we are not yet glorified like Jesus, God counts it as already done. So He says He glorified you. It's pretty awesome. It's going to happen no matter what befalls us on this earth. And with that news... Who can be against us? What illness, what circumstance, what person can come against you? If God is for you, then you already have all of history on your side. He gave His Son for you. And He's not going to say, that's as far as I'm going to go I sent him to die. What more do you expect of me? You ask too much. We tend to think like that because that's the way we are with people. But God is never like that. He's proven his love for you and there is nothing that he will not do on your behalf. Furthermore, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Hear him, Father. I died for him. He belongs to me. 
He belongs to you. Listen to Him. Intervene on His behalf. But God's incredible love for us does not imply that life will be easy. In fact, we've just read about this suffering. I mean, redemption is so wonderful that we want it all right now. But it's coming. It's coming. We've had a taste of it. The day will get here when it all belongs to us. So life is not going to be easy. But Jesus' love for us will never, never fail. These last verses don't need any comment from me. I'll do my best. I may be forced to say something. But let's just look at verses 35 to the end. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or lack of a job or a car accident or a doctor saying cancer or any person or nakedness or danger or sword shall any of the or my failures As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And in so doing, we identify with Jesus. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, and he's speaking here most likely of demons, nor powers, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, fallen as it is, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at these verses in light of your current trial that has sought to drown you. And you felt like at times it's going to do it, it's going to get me. Can't can't get you not if you belong to Jesus not if you belong 